0: And a good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta here in Grand Rapids at Acton University 2022. The Charter for the Protection of Children and Young People was passed by the U.S. Bishops back in June, well, June 14th of 2002. And so we've just passed the 20th anniversary. Uh, I mean, this was this had really uh, caught the attention of the uh, entire nation. And uh, my guest, Father Raymond D'Souza, has just written the piece for the National Catholic Register looking at the Dallas Charter at 20 years old and what have we learned. Father D'Souza is pastor of Holy Cross Parish in Ottawa, and since 2014, he's served on the board of directors of Catholic Christian Outreach, the leading campus evangelization movement in Canada, and he chairs its board. He's also a senior fellow uh, for CARDIS, uh, Canada's leading Christian think tank. And also a senior fellow at Massey College at the University of Toronto, he's been a weekly columnist for the National Post, uh, one of Canada's national dailies, for 18 years, and writes frequently for the Catholic Press. We read him regularly in the National Catholic Register. It's good to see you.
1: Thanks, Al. Good yeah. to be here. It's uh, our annual appointment at yeah. Acton University <laughs> was not so annual. It turned no, out no, we it's got been, to... in three years. So, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Let's hope we keep up on the annual basis. Now I always look yeah. forward to coming on with you uh, well, every you. year.
0: Yeah, well I do too. I, 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 read, I actually read your columns. You're one of the few people I actually read religiously, <laughs> so to speak. Good. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Say hail Mary while you're at it. <laughs> <I> will <laughs> keep keep you straight. Yeah, um, twenty years since the Dallas Charter. I'll tell you. First thing that struck me when I heard it was twenty years is actually how little attention uh, it had been getting um, uh, in popular conversation with people mm-hmm. uh it's it's as though what happened in 2018 with mccarrick kind of uh, blew up and obscured the dallas charter correct but i mean this was a major institutional initiative and it is important that we look at it and say okay w- w- what was good what was bad and um uh so let's let's start Let's start with the good. What can we say, uh, has it achieved the purpose for which it was invented? I think certainly, and
1: uh, I said it was in my life. I was ordained a priest that summer of 2002, so I lived with this kind of on the... uh, Going into that, and since uh, it's one of the most influential initiatives any bishops have done in the the life of the church the last few generations... Because the things that were considered to be kind of novel and maybe even a little bit outside the bounds back in O two are now the template for the whole world. Yeah, you know okay. the idea of zero tolerance. It's the whole the Holy See promotes it. Everybody promotes it. That was not
0: that was not obvi- the case in yeah.
1: two thousand and two. Um, it was very effective um, in getting priests out of the out of ministry quickly who had been left lingering either through negligence or worse uh, in the lead-up to that. Now, we know from all the ex-post analysis that most of the problems were actually in the 70s and 80s. However, by 2002, there were some uh, priests who had um, offended in grievous ways who were still in ministry. And so there was a lot of that cleanup. It did that very quickly. I mean, very quickly, within maybe two years, if not less, Mm -hmm. Uh, it put in place the safe environment training. You know, you often hear people boast that the Catholic Church is the safest environment for children in the United States. Who knows if that's true? But yeah. you can certainly say, do people take care to make it a safe environment? Without doubt. Yeah. And certainly more than in other parts of our our culture. So okay. that did very well. Uh, so, it, you know, the, the immediate crisis... Uh, it changed the um, the balance of thinking, where the if the default setting was let's make this go away quietly, it changed that thinking, yeah. and so it achieved a lot of good things, um, and it did it very rapidly in the in the face of white hot heat back yeah. there in yeah. 2002, and many places around the world have emulated it in the church, other bishops' conferences, and even at the Holy See. So, on balance, I would have to say. If you're giving a grade, like did it do what it's supposed to do, it would have to get very
0: high marks. Okay. Uh, Unintended negative consequence. But, yes. uh, I showed up early on um, when uh, some priests I knew um, were unceremoniously uh, ripped out of their rectories and dismissed. Uh, And one of them, I actually don't know what the the truth of the matter was. One of them I'd known for a while and— uh, and I, I'm assured that it was, the right, it was the right thing to do by those who are closer to the situation than I am. But th- my, my point is, though, it was, uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, there was no discussion. There was nothing. It was like uh, Father Dennis was there one day. He was going the next. Yeah. And his secretary called me up and said, I want you to know Father Dennis has been removed. I said, what? He's been removed. Why? Uh, we don't know. Yeah, I mean, that, it, it, yeah. and and then you then you have what has and other priests have told me since, even re- very recently, that it had a devastating effect on the relationship between priest and bishop. Yeah, and that's Is really that what, true? that's what I wrote about. Yeah.
1: Um, so look, the example I used, the metaphor I used in what I wrote was that there was a metastasizing cancer, and they yeah. they had to do some serious yeah. surgery to get it out. Yeah. Yeah. But serious surgery is serious surgery and it creates scars and it creates wounds. Right. Um but the cancer is gone. I mean as we know, uh I mean everybody would acknowledge that even one case of sexual abuse is too many, but that but in this fallen world we actually have very few. Yeah. Um so the problem of uh, priestly predatory okay. behavior sexual abuse of minors you can never say it's eliminated 100%, but right. we're about as close to that as you can get in terms of fresh cases. There are still historic things that come up from time to time. Right. So that was the cancer treatment that was powerful and effective, but it had side effects. Yeah. And one of the things was there are two principal side effects. Is One is the church embraced in her law the principle that there was to be no mercy, zero tolerance, one instance, no matter how long ago, no differentiation in gravity of offense, you're gone, yeah, perpetually from ministry, yeah, not necessarily from the priesthood. I mean, you could, you, many were laicized, but ministry was was done. No one would ever argue that 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 justice is served by one penalty for all crimes, right? But the church embraced that, and I don't think for bad reason. Mm-hmm. But that's a damage because when the church embraces something that she knows makes her something less than a mirror of justice, that's a problem in the life of the church. And maybe after this intense crisis period of 20 years plus, maybe that'll be fixed. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. I, no one I'm, no one defends that it's a good idea. Everybody just defends was a necessary yeah, idea. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But no, I've never heard a bishop tell me, why don't you think that it's good to treat all cases the same? Yeah. But we have to do that for now. Yeah first thing the second thing which is more uh, more difficult is that what it did was introduced a um, a wound in the relationship of bishops of priests with their bishop yeah and what was the problem before dallas that gave rise to the problem was that a bishop didn't think of the whole flock he didn't think about protecting the vulnerable kids in the flock he thought about this is my guy yeah Kind yeah. of an old boy's network, right. what now is called clericalism, but, you know, whatever you want to call it, that yeah. kind of network, I'll protect him. And I'll even protect him from the legitimate, just consequences of his bad behavior. Yeah. Okay, that was not that's not how a bishop should be with his priests, right? Right. right? But that's how it was too often. Well, that went from one extreme, as often happens in the life of the church. We go from one extreme <laughs> right past the, yeah. uh, right. Right. the medium point to the other extreme, yeah. where now, as you say... An accusation arrives, no matter really what the nature, even almost before uh, any kind of preliminary investigation is even possible, and the priest is gone. Yeah, Out yeah. from your rectory, out from ministry, and then maybe three years later, it all gets sorted out. Yeah. So um, so what that's created, independent of the individuals who are subject to that, who, that is the priest who had accusations made against them. And I would say this, by the way, is that, in I've never had I never had a job that involved me in these kinds of yeah. um cases but my friends who did would say probably up until about 2012 a false accusation was very very rare okay that I mean is it possible yes but there were accusations and there were some of them were more than manifest yeah. you know yeah I would say in the last 10 years, I've heard more from people that, okay, because the major cases have been largely dealt with, right. now you're getting a little bit more of sh- cases on very shaky ground and some of them false. So I think probably for the first 10, 12, 15 years, it wasn't much of a concern because there weren't really that many. Yeah. But I would say today what's happened, independent of the men who are charged, the priests as a whole think of the bishop as as i said in the column uh, not so much a father or a brother but as an adversary you know he's the one who can get rid of me on a moment's notice and therefore there's a a feeling that hey you know independent of sexual misconduct uh, if i'm in a tight spot you know the bishop is not going to be there to help me and i've heard from bishops say look you know Whatever the flaws of the past, and they were they were manifest. You know, our thinking was, or of their predecessors, let's try and save this man's priesthood. Mm-hmm. And now, they say, even though and they they admit it, even as as if they, but it pains them. They're not happy about it. Now, really, our drive is okay. Let's get this guy out yeah. because yeah. if we try and save his priesthood, and it goes bad, then. That's the nightmare scenario. Right, so, right. Um, when I, I wrote, what I, what I wrote was, uh, I think, not a very happy thing to write, but it's a real thing. I don't think it's, no one desired that. Yeah. But it is, as you put it, an unnes- uh, rather unintended yeah. consequence. The, what really worries me is that when you have a broken rela- or relationship or broken trust, it's very, very difficult to restore that. Yep. And... Um, and i i don 't think there 's a lack of desire, uh, but it 's going to be very hard to restore yeah. it because what 's the response of priests who have who think that the bishop might be an adversary now is well, let me just put my head down, do my work, and not get it, and like just be distant well if you 're distant from someone you 're not going to be reconciled right so I think that 's the problem today
0: i I uh, serve on um a lay advisory committee for the diocese of lansing which is public yeah so i've talked about this before and um I'll tell you what uh hear the music coming up okay we'll take a quick break all right come back and i'll pick Thanks, up that Al. story my guest father raymond de souza we're looking at the dallas charter 20 years later here in grand rapids at acton 20 acton university twenty twenty. I'm Al Cresta here in Grand Rapids at Acton University 2022. Uh, the Charter for the Protection of Children and Young People passed by the U.S. Bishops on June 14th of 2002 has just marked its 20th anniversary. And I'm speaking with Father Raymond D'Souza about the Dallas Charter 20 years later. And uh, to close of the last segment... I was sharing a little story from uh, my experience as uh, being on the uh, Diocese of Lansing advisory, lay advisory board. We don't, we're not the uh, first line uh, review committee. Mm-hmm. We, we end up seeing complaints uh, that are, that uh, cr- criminal action is not going to be taken. So the attorney General's decided not to take a case and we get lots of other complaints to smaller complaints, mm-hmm. but the, I'm thinking here uh, in particular of one situation which as we went through it it struck me as well this you know just this is the problem here probably next step on it is to ask um, this priest get some counseling you know and uh, the response was absolute defiance (laughs) I mean then the next step was to lawyer up. <laughs> and I'm saying to myself, uh, what happened here? What, right. I mean, uh, there's, we don't have a criminal complaint. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't aware of the I mean, the bishop seemed to be doing right. what I think bishops were supposed to do. But the reaction showed me that uh, in this particular case, and I suspect this may be a extre- an extreme instance, but it showed me that there's... Um, there's some there is that adversarial relationship. Right, and yeah. that's what really is tragic. I, I can't imagine being the, a priest and feeling like your bishop is your adversary rather than right. your father.
1: We we should not be uh, Id- romantic about ideals like, you know, it's not like all bishops and all priests had a beautiful father-son right. relationship <laughs> yes, in the I'm past. Aware of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Priests who were long dead and talked about their experiences in the 1940s and 50s had lots of stories about being treated badly yeah. and their bishops had even more stories about <laughs> sort of recalcitrant priests behaving badly, but anyway but there is that sense that um, you know, I can't trust uh, that he would protect me uh, we're not talking about giving you a pass on sexual misconduct. Right, we're talking right. about just that he has. And I've, I've talked to good priests, I mean, who love their priesthood, who love the church, who love their parishes, uh, who have training in canon law, who've had some of these cases. And they would say things like, you know, if you're called in, make sure you go with a canon lawyer. You know, yeah. and um, obviously, if you show up with a canon lawyer, it's not going to be a paternal filial uh, exchange. exactly. You've, you've, you've uh, yeah. decided the de- yeah. tenor of the relationship. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I don't <clears throat> know how that is. You know, I don't know how that's fixed. Um, I no, don't that know how was that's my next, fixed. That was yeah. my next question.
0: And so, where do we go from here?
1: I think probably the first stage of it, uh, and I've heard, I wouldn't say a widespread thing, but I've heard some places where the bishop. Has just acknowledged this reality, and that might be the first stage. And say, yeah. "Look, fathers, I get it. I know that you don't think. You think I'm playing for a different team now, right? right. We're not in right. the same team, different position, you know. And I know that, and that might be the first uh, stage. Because actually, one of the things that I think is a surprise to a lot of lay people." They presume that priests amongst themselves, amongst ourselves, and priests with their bishop talk about all kinds of things. And it's well thought out, and it's well discussed, and so on and so forth. That's not actually the reality. Right, right. You're in your parish, your neighbor's in his parish, and we don't really uh, do as much of that as we, as, well, as people think we do, or maybe as we should do. So I think that might but you, be... You don't
0: emerge from an annual convocation <laughs> as, you know, we're on the team. Everybody knows the rules <laughs> yeah, of the yeah. game now. So Yeah, it's... Yeah. Um,
1: anyway, the, so I think that's... But when I... When I what I'm sure some of my readers at the National Catholic Register, when they read that, may have been surprised. However, I can't imagine any priest in the United States or in Canada, I'm from Canada, or any bishop in the United States or Canada... Who would have read that and been at all surprised we know what's yeah. happening um, maybe the first stage of trying to restore that relationship is to at least acknowledge yeah. in an open way that it's that, that it's, it's broken it ha- and yeah. um and i I just want to clarify I'm not saying that the uh, therapy wasn't needed uh, because there was a genuine health crisis back in o yeah. two uh, and before which was not talked about. But the, the treatment had side effects, and uh, those have to be uh, Chemo, radiation. Yeah, it's like uh, that. It the all, cancer examination. it's all the yeah. cells, yeah. not
0: just the, the bad cells. Yeah. 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 Um, what, did the, uh, what did the McCarrick uh, affair, the McCarrick event, do to our discussion about this?
1: I think it did two things. One was legitimate, one was not legitimate. The un- illegitimate part was it came the same summer as the Pennsylvania Grand Jury yes. Report. Yes, yes, it did. And the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report gave a very false picture. Yeah. I would argue a deliberately false picture. I think there was malice there. Yeah. Um, that somehow the worst everything was worse than it was before and that wasn't the case right. um and the pennsylvania grand jury with mccarrick together a lot of people thought nothing happened at dallas or what they made promises to dallas's that weren't kept that was illegitimate because but the two things came together in timing it was only a few weeks apart right. if i remember correctly yeah. no, that's right so people who saw the McCarrick case and said, my goodness, nothing has been done on this file, and they lied to us, that's illegitimate. That's not true. Yeah. A lot was done with Dallas in the aftermath. That's the illegitimate link between McCarrick and this. The legitimate concern was that at Dallas, procedures were put in place for priests, and nothing was done for bishops. I think that's perfectly understandable. hmm because it was white-hot heat. I mean, this was crisis management. There was barely enough time. And canonically, it's more complicated. Much, much more complicated. Much, and much, priests. much more complicated. Yeah. So they did what they could do yeah. in the moment. Where you could assign blame is that in 2005, 6, seven, eight, never returned eight, the, when like things the, had yeah. calmed down, when the majority of cases had been dealt with, when a lot of settlements had been made, all these kinds of things, and there's a bit of breathing room, they should have returned to that at yeah. that point okay. which they didn't and that blew up with uh the mccarrick and then of course you know there was universal legislation from the holy father and all kinds of things now there was also bishops, the, uh,
0: there was also the vegano letter the vegano the first, letter the came, first that, letter. that kind
1: of kind of exploded the yeah. whole thing uh so that that was that was a gap that had to be fixed um that being said, if I may, something that I think is relatively unpopular to say, but I will say this about uh, now former Cardinal McCarrick, is that uh, despite the accusation that everybody knew everything and didn't do anything about it, yeah. the reality of the McCarrick situation is that nobody actually stood up and put up his hand and said, he did this to me until 2018. And when someone did that, finally, in a very clear things, things moved very quickly. Sure. If you look at that big report that the Holy See Commission, it's, it, there's a lot of details in there. And what you find is a lot of people saying, maybe something happened, and that looks a little bit strange to me. And yes, I mentioned it to somebody else, but not really in an official capacity. Yeah. So there's plenty of shame in the yeah. whole McCarrick story. Sure. But... It, it wasn't entirely the case that uh, people had direct complaints and ignored them. Because even today with the new procedures, you still have to have someone, you know, say, lodge a complaint. And that yeah. was a bit of the problem. And no, I,
0: I get that. I mean, I don't know how many times in situations <clears throat> after there's been so-and-so commits a crime or so-and-so yeah. and so commits some, you know, heretical... Sermon or something like that. It's easier to say, you know, I, I was a little suspicious of that guy, mm-hmm. but I would never have gotten up and called the bishop and said, oh, "I think that you got real problems here." Yeah, so. But so I think a lot of people after yeah. uh, McCarrick I, uh, admitted that, oh, yeah, no, I was a little, he was a little yeah, shy. So. Some, and then other people accused them of suppressing knowledge, yeah. as though they they knew certainly enough that they For should yeah. have gone. You know, to so. somebody.
1: I would say that also that uh, there are people. Uh, Theodore McCarrick was one of them. Uh, Father Maciel, Ma- uh, Marcel Marcel yeah. Massafer, yeah. who do wicked things and are actually very skillful. And if people who are good at fooling other people fool other people, you know, you can say I shouldn't have been fooled, but you know. There's a certain there's a certain blame that goes on the one who's good at fooling them. And and he was very good. He fooled a lot of people. You know, I mean, not to go into the whole McCarrick thing, but one of the most astonishing things about Theodore McCarrick's case is the first person who ever went to law enforcement to say there's been some rumors and charges and suspicion about Theodore McCarrick was Theodore McCarrick himself. He was the first one when the letter came in. He took it to the FBI and said, look what people are saying about me interesting so uh you know there's huh. now you may say that reveals a certain level of uh brazen duplicity which you'd be right but it does show you that this was a more bit more complicated case um, the first person who went to the FBI to say look you should look into this was the man himself wow he was I had forgotten he that he was very uh, he was very clever at covering his tracks because oh. if you said what happened he said well i already went to the fbi exactly (laughs) yeah yeah it it gives you that
0: plausible deniability uh yeah so so talk to me about canada a little bit and what the church is doing up there it's it's actually a very uh, different situation in many ways in the united states isn't it yeah
1: well you know we've been um uh we have been spared a, a bit not entirely but the kind of divisiveness, the spirit of kind of acrimony, denunciation, yeah. we don't have that at the moment, thanks be to God. Um, I'm not saying it can't come, but you well, you know what's going on in the United States. Here. Yeah. People seem almost more eager to fight than not fight, you know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, we don't have that to the same extent. Uh, we've got a, a big event going on. Uh, the Holy Father is coming to Canada at the end of July just announced his itinerary now we know his health is failing so he may not be able to make it but uh that's always a big deal to have a papal visit it's addressed to a very specific uh issue of the reconciliation with indigenous peoples and the historic oh, injustices yeah. there yeah, we've seen some of that so that's going to uh that will be um uh coming soon uh but otherwise, you know we things where we're spared some of the fighting in Canada, but we have look we have got the same challenges you know we um you know when you read about dioceses closing parishes and so forth, we've got that we got same that, thing yeah. there, and yeah. when you talk about sometimes lawsuits and so we've got that there, so um Uh, You know, the big difference in Canada would be we don't have a large Hispanic population, which is, you know, really providing the sort of the future of the American church in terms of population. But we have something similar in that, you know, one of the most vibrant parts of the church in Canada is where there's lots of immigrants. So people from South India, people from Nigeria, people from the Philippines, people from Vietnam. That's
0: lifting your numbers? Uh,
1: But not just the numbers, but the vitality, energy, right? Yeah, good, So. so, you know, just like if you went to Orange, California, and yeah. you see the vibrancy of that diocese, and you realize, well, okay, like 30% of the people here are Vietnamese. Yeah. Well, if you go to uh, Vancouver in Canada, you might see something, you know, uh, similar. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of similarities there. Yeah.
0: Father, thank you so much. Good. Always, Al, always good to be with, with, you. with you. Thank yeah, you very much. Uh, appreciate your work. Appreciate your opinion. And I urge people to continue reading your work there with the National Catholic Register.
1: Very good. All right. And uh, next year in Grand Rapids, as they don't say anywhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much.
0: Good. Thanks, Al. Father Raymond D'Souza. I'm Al Cresta. We'll be right back.